Hi everyone, I'm Rosanna and this is AFL Obsessed. You guys, what a crazy weekend of footy. If anyone got a perfect tipping score for the games, please hit me up. You are magic and I need you in my life because every single game ended quite the opposite to what I expected. And maybe for you too, there were some epic upsets and also a drawn game this last round. And we're at a point now in the season where we've been starting to assess who has real contention for the grand final, who's going to make it in the eight based on remaining games and percentage, and who is still in a fight to maybe save their positions in terms of players, maybe even coaches, but also who may be heading to a different team at the end of the year. Some Big player contracts got signed on the weekend. The Mackay brothers are now off the table. They've chosen to extend at both of their current clubs because there's always a lot of talk until the deal gets done. And there's also lots of discussion surrounding players who just aren't getting games and have been MIA from the senior level. Why aren't they up for selection? Especially a lot of the players who moved to different clubs and maybe were sought after for some leadership potential. So what's going on with, you know, Braden, Fiorini, Jackson Haley, Mitch Wallace, Rory Atkins, Ben Brown, I mean, Mason Cox even. There's a lengthy list of players on the outer who just kind of have to keep pushing for selection in the coming rounds. And also who might be playing on. Some players are some players are really getting up there, but surprisingly are just staying off the injury list and in really great form. There's a ton of players out of contract at the end of the season. That's nothing new, but it is a consideration for the teams and list management. I know there's a lot of speculation already, and I know that I'm always like side-eyeing a sal cap, but... We'll get to all of that later. A couple of the games have been moved to Tassie this weekend. There will only be five on the weekend. There's no Thursday game. And the Friday game at Geelong initially was not going to have a crowd, but now they've opened it up to up to 7,000 people. I'm kind of glad for Geelong because they really fought to keep that game as a home one. So we have a lot to dissect this week. So let's get started and dive into the opening overture of my overall thoughts on the week and where we're at now in NYC and abroad. So Andrew and I brunched over the weekend with friends that we haven't seen again since Thanksgiving in 2019. So it's crazy how the people I've hung out with or my friends that we've hung out with since we got back have really just been (laughs) from this group um, of Veronica previously, but I just honestly need more of that energy in my life. We ate outside. It was so beautiful. And I'm just really excited about the summer that's to come and kind of everything that's going to follow with just getting together with more and more friends. And New York has officially hit a reopening milestone. So our governor had announced previously that restrictions would be lifted once we hit a certain vaccination stat, and that was to have at least 70% of all adults partially vaccinated. And we reached that. So our governor announced yesterday that all social gathering, like limits, any capacity restrictions, social distancing, (laughs) all these words we love to hear, and really any health screening or cleaning and disinfection protocols and contact information for tracing has all been eliminated effective immediately. 
meaning that we can now, quote unquote, return to life as we know it. I mean, considering that the state has gone from the highest COVID positivity rate in the country, it's pretty surprising. I don't think any of us will ever forget what we went through. So, you know, emotionally, it hits different. But there was a long period where we just didn't know if we'd get here. And the future didn't look bleak. It just looked, you know, maybe blank (laughs) for some of us. But to celebrate the milestone, there were fireworks across the state last night that doubled as a salute to our essential workers. And some of our landmarks were lit blue and gold in honor of reaching the stat. So we're basically just not in our homes anymore, disinfecting everything in sight. And federal restrictions are still in place for like public transit, schools, and hospitals. But All of the remaining indoor capacity limits and anything like health screenings for offices, you know, theaters, restaurants, they're all optional now, which is kind of amazing. And also on a separate note, Disneyland is now allowing like fully vaccinated guests to attend the park maskless as of yesterday, too. So I just really feel like both ends of the states were just kind of driving towards this really positive direction and I'm just really excited for everything that's to come for us because we've got like, you know, a whole half of a year. As for what's going on in Melbourne, restrictions are easing again. So it's kind of exciting. There are still some caps in place in terms of capacity for gatherings, but it is exciting to think that maybe there will be crowds at footy again in Melbourne. And now we're on to act one with AFL headlines and highlights. And we don't really have to reach for those high notes because there was so much happening everywhere you looked. And I mean, where do you even begin with like all of the upsets? But before the games even happened, pretty much right when I posted the last episode, Collingwood came out with a bombshell announcement. Nathan Buckley shockingly announced his retirement. And there was a press conference for the club and he announced that Monday would be his last game as head coach. So right off the bat, I mean, a coach steps down midseason, and after the weekend of a win, obviously you jump or you're pushed, but it was definitely something that we all had to kind of like break down and look into. And when we started the season, there is no way that I could fathom that both Eddie and Bucks would be gone by the buys. And if you told me that, I mean... Maybe I would have been like fake news, (laughs) but it also means that he's played a lot of games and coached a lot of games and never won a premiership. But regardless how you feel about him, you know, there's something there for someone who fights that hard for a club. And I would just like to point out that he did win a premiership as an assistant coach. So that counts to me. So before we even got to the game, there was all this drama. And we've talked previously to an extent about what's been happening behind the scenes at Collingwood. So maybe this will be a further opportunity to kind of organize all of that and figure it out before the remainder of the season and before the end of the season, really. So we'll go ahead and just start with the biggest blow up of the weekend on the field And that was the Melbourne versus Collingwood game, which was, I think, a shock to all of us. 
It was Buckley's farewell game, and I told Andrew before the start of it that I really thought it was going to be one of the toughest games yet for Collingwood because I knew the boys really would want to win it for their coach and kind of have him go out in style and with a bang, but they were also playing the top of the ladder team. And it was going to be really difficult because Melbourne had only conceded one game before that. But Collingwood was actually leading slightly after the main break, and they actually carried a five-point lead into the final quarter, which we all notice, you know, oddly enough, was the number that Nathan Buckley wore when he played for the Pies. And then they ended up kicking more goals beyond that. But Collingwood ended up taking the game by 17 points. So it was a really great way to just kind of send off your coach. And it was a really classy exit, I have to say. No matter what you think about him, I think Bucks will live on with like a media career that won't be anywhere near as stressful as what has been happening at the club and in the role. But absolutely like a game to rewatch again and again if you haven't seen it already. Um, And there's just so many things that I could kind of get into. But really, I just it was such a dramatic upset and it was a great way to kind of like end the weekend. And that actually happened really um, on a Monday for us. In the Port versus Geelong game, I was really excited about this game going into the weekend. It was the first one right off the bat, and I just knew it was going to be a really good matchup. And in the first goal, Jezza actually had his legs taken out, so he basically cartwheeled to the side. After kicking the first goal, it didn't actually impact the goal, but the way he kind of winced when he was tying his boots afterwards, I was like, uh-oh, if he's down already just in the first few minutes, it's going to be a fight. But he actually ended up being fine. And that's what's always so crazy about these falls that these guys take. It doesn't matter what happens. They just kind of get back up and, you know, kick goals all over again. And Port actually looked in top form. Rosie looked absolutely dangerous. It was really great to see Dangerfield back. But at one point, Geelong was down by 21 points. But honestly, there was just no need to worry because with Jezza and Tomahawk kind of being the bookends of the club as forwards, I think in the last term, they were just kind of side by side running towards a goalpost. And just the satisfaction of seeing them (laughs) in that positioning is just something that I think every team wants. But For being behind by 21 points, they actually ended up winning by 21, and it was just like a really great moment for everyone, and I'm just so looking forward to what they're able to do this weekend, and I think they are actually still great contenders, and they could take it all, frankly, for the remainder of the season. I've always said, too, that Aussie footy is a lot like Quidditch without the broomsticks and a little physics, and the coolest moment actually in this game was when Kane Farrell for Port kicked a banana from the pocket as a left footer, kind of defying the laws of physics and just getting this goal to kind of go through. And I mean, he even looked completely surprised and taken aback that it actually went through. And I actually think that that might be up for goal of the year. So check that out if you haven't seen it. In the West Coast versus Richmond game, This is so funny. This happened really early on Sunday morning, and I actually got up because it was, it started, I think, around five in the morning, and it was so early, and we had kind of a busy day. So I got up just to check on the score, and sleepily, I think 
it was really towards the end, but I didn't realize. I thought the game was over and that Richmond was winning by two points. So just in my mind, I'm like, Richmond's got the game. Great. In my sleepy state, I don't know what happened. I put the phone back down. And then later on, Andrew was like, did you see the last few minutes of that game? Oh, my gosh. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Richmond took it. Can't wait to do the rewatch, which turned out to be something else entirely. So West Coast actually beat Richmond by four points, which is crazy. Another really great game with a ton of moments. But my favorite moment really happened in the last minute when Liam Ryan is just running along the boundary at full speed with all the pressure. Someone is chasing him. And he just scoops up the ball so cleanly and snaps it immediately to Kennedy, who kicked the winning goal. I got to ask, I got a question if that was 15 (laughs) to him, but I do have to say that that was just another great rewatch. Again, completely unexpected. Check it out if you haven't seen it. And I just want to mention that Frio beating the Suns by 27 and Hawthorne beating Sydney by 38 points pretty big surprises. And Adelaide beating St. Kilda by six, even though the Saints had a 36-point lead, like zero to Adelaide at the beginning. So there is a lot of speculation that two very important players from their side, Seb Ross and Tim Membry, two senior players, left before the game on Saturday for personal familial reasons. So I hope everything's okay. All the best to them. I know that I've questioned their side previously, but I don't think that personal reasons, especially in their case, are up for debate when it involves another partner and young children. And Seb Ross was actually not questioned personally, but his actions were questioned on prime time to the point where he actually had to release a statement. I think it just came out a couple hours ago about why he chose to go back and just help his wife with their twin newborns, you know? Um, So I think that when it comes to personal issues, um, I'm really glad that the team, even though they talked about how it was a little bit of a debate, they ultimately made what I consider to be the right decision. But there is still like a lot of discussion around that and whether or not they're going to be able to come back and maybe even play in a future game and what that all will look like. The biggest headline, too, from the weekend is about a tribunal case. Everyone's talking about Adelaide's David McKay hit on Hunter Clark. And he will actually face the tribunal later today after his incident on Saturday night where he he actually, it looked like a perfectly legal move, honestly, from what I saw in real time. I know I've slowed down the watch and kind of done the rewatch, but they were both kind of going for the ball. It looked like... David's eyes were on the ball and his head was towards the ball. And he may, in a quick, responsive action of, like, not fight or flight, but self-preservation, he may have kind of braced himself for an impact, but he ended up bumping Hunter Clark really high. And his jaw is actually broken now. And I think that he's going to be sidelined for a number of weeks. I mean, it might even be like six to eight weeks. So the AFL is not sure how to grade like an AFL incident with the act. And it's interesting because they're supposed to make the call. So it's interesting that they're not able to make it because of the fact that a footy player has copped an injury. And I mean, I'm not sure how to grade that incident either. 
If you haven't seen the incident, as I said, they are both running towards the ball. I think sometimes the way, was there a realistic alternative to contest the ball? I think some people are thinking that he should be banned. So it's a little bit of a Pandora's box. I think we're all kind of wondering how this will affect not only this particular call because he'll either get nothing because he wasn't given any formal charges. He was just sent straight to the tribunal or he'll get maybe four weeks of suspension. So I think it will affect how they rule things in future too, especially when there is an impact that goes beyond that moment and what happens. So it'll be really interesting to see what call they make in this case. But what did you guys think about that particular hit? Do you think that he should get a penalty? Do you think that he should get a fine? Do you think that they should have formally charged him before sending him to the tribunal because now it's up to them? I mean, what did you guys think? I'd love to know your thoughts about all the games, really, from the weekend. My email is aflfootyobsessed at gmail and aflobsessed on Twitter if you'd like to share. Okay, it's intermission, so quickly during this time, let's just cut away to other sports. In Denmark's Euro 2020 game, between Denmark and Finland, the soccer game, Christian Eriksen actually collapsed on the field, and they had to bring the medic out, and he had to be resuscitated on the field with a defibrillator. So they were giving him CPR. It took a number of minutes. The whole scene was actually really scary and kind of a nightmarish thing that you don't think can happen during a sporting event. And I hope to never witness that personally. I don't know if that has actually happened before. I'm really curious if it's happened in AFL specifically, but he's actually okay. They were able to resuscitate him and then they just immediately took him to the hospital. They did end up playing their game later on, but Christian Eriksen is okay. But that was just another scary moment in sport. And the ongoing NBA playoffs have been really good. Game four, especially between the 76ers and the Atlanta Hawks, and game five, which actually just happened with my Nets, underdogs kind of coming back and taking the lead. Um, KD actually played every single minute of that game, so I'm really worried about what that means for game six because Kyrie Irving is injured and Harden kind of came out and hobbled his way through that game too, but I'm just hoping for the best, and again, I just would really love if we could take that. But now we're on to act two where we have discussions about relevant footy topics and issues. And this is just a continuation from our discussion last week about the documentary, The Ripple Effect. I hope you've all had a chance to watch it. I referred to it last week and the documentary addresses the issues of racism directly through the perspectives of professional athletes in sport in Australia and what their personal experiences have been like. And I really appreciated the number of definitions that they put on screen just to kind of make it really clear for people who maybe haven't experienced certain things before or maybe didn't understand exactly the scope of some of the events. And I really think that they did such a great job of describing kind of the lingering scar that can happen as a result of an incident when it comes to racism and how that can ripple and like outlast not only the, the event, but continue on for generations. And as I foreshadowed, there was a moment that really touched me when I was watching the film at around the 17 minute mark. It just really struck me what happened. There was an 
an unprovoked, excuse me, attack on an Asian woman. And I actually had to stop watching the film at that point and just take a minute to momentarily compose myself because it really affected me. It is something that has actually been happening. If you're not here um, in the States, you might not be aware that there have been a lot of anti-Asian hate incidences that have been happening, you know, for a few years now, but there's been quite an uptick since the pandemic. And unfortunately, since we've returned to the city, I've been experiencing some of these incidences firsthand. And I've always been really open with you all about like what I'm going through and how I'm feeling. But that particular incident really just brought back a memory when I lived in Colorado previously, which is why I bring this up, of how I feel that a disciplinary, sorry, I'm wording it wrong, how I feel that diversity training sometimes is handled in the States. I feel like it's typically a day where it's maybe emphasized, but sometimes it's as a result of a disciplinary action or as a result of something that someone said. I don't think it's a priority and I feel like it should be and also not be something that you know, you dread having to do just to check a box off for your company. But I do think that the response is kind of more reactive instead of being proactive. These like one-off diversity trainings that I'm referring to, and they rarely ever actually work in my experience. I know because during one of these particular diversity days, I was actually tasked with bringing in materials to kind of help my colleagues understand the Asian American experience. So I brought in a short film that I felt to me really summed everything up better than I could ever say it. And long story shortened, (laughs) there was a super negative response from a particular colleague and they ended up snapping off the video. And it was a moment where an Asian American said that she had been called an egg roll. And my colleague snapped it off and immediately said, that doesn't happen. It's not real. And kind of announced it to all of my colleagues in the room that were watching. And I asked my colleague, you know, why do you think that this isn't real? And their response was, because they had never heard someone being called that. And my response to that was, because you aren't Asian. So it is real. There have been incidences that I've been a part of since we've returned to the city. I know I've told you how happy Andrew and I are to be back, but there have been three different incidences literally on the streets of New York where one, Andrew and I were walking to check out an apartment and someone yelled an angry slur directly at me. And the second time was when we were with a group of people. There were six of us in total and my friend was visiting. So we were all kind of hanging out and there were a number of us who are Asian American in the group. And someone threw a bottle at our group at the smallest girl in the group's head. 
We didn't know that the bottle was empty, but it was still just a very shocking experience to walk around and have someone try to strike us um, and just completely unprovoked. And the third time was when Andrew and I were just walking around enjoying the evening heading to dinner and someone again yelled at us. And I honestly don't respond only in two incidences, and that's actually in a professional environment, but the other one is on the streets of New York because I honestly don't know if the person will get even more angry or more violent or if they'll have a weapon. So it's really difficult to move on from things like that because there's an inciting incident that makes you just want to stop everything that you're doing, and it makes you stop everything you're doing. But it's really hard to kind of just move on and not continue to think about or really even give you like a low level of like anxiety, fear, or any type of emotional response because it's just not something that I leave my home expecting to happen. And as I said, if I'm in a professional setting, I think it's even worse or even more difficult to kind of have to keep your emotions in check and So the documentary addressed, you know, what's the worst you've ever been copped and what's the worst you've ever copped in terms of a racist remark. And in a professional setting for me, I guess, there was an instance where someone came into my place of business and it's just that energy where a man walked in and just immediately sucked all of the energy and all of the oxygen out of the room and just took up all the space. And I knew that it was probably going to be a difficult interaction. And he kept making minor comments that were really disparaging towards Asians, I think to get some kind of a rise out of me or maybe to provoke some kind of reaction to maybe see if I would respond in a certain way. And Honestly, it's so difficult to pretend like something isn't happening or try not to pay attention. I can't really shut him down in a neat way. And I was trying to just compose myself to continue on with my day. I mean, he's not even someone I really have to interact with. He was just there and kind of in my face. And I was trying to move away and kind of get out of the room so that I wouldn't have to interact with him any further, just so that I could remove myself from maybe saying something I would regret. And he asked me a question that just kind of floored me. And he asked me who my mother slept with in the military so that she could get into this country, which was something that was so shocking and for people to make an assessment. It's so difficult to hear someone make an assessment about someone they don't even know. And what actually, similarly along those lines, was someone else said something very similar to that. But the second time someone asked me that question, it was who I had to sleep with in order to get a good gig in the country. And it's just, it's really disappointing. It's really hurtful. It's really unnecessary. I think there is a perception 
sometimes here in the U.S. when it comes to Asian Americans that kind of that model minority sense that you'll hear that we may be high achieving, we make lots of money, so nothing should be bothering us. You know, you don't have any hardship. And if you don't have multiple Asian people in your life or interactions with different kinds of Asians, that may be your impression. But that's actually not always the case. And especially here in the U.S., it's not the case, as I said, in a professional environment. There have been other incidences, obviously, but we don't have to get into all that. What I am saying is it is a very real thing that happens. And it's such a deep thing thing that I think takes so much sustained work and belief and action to kind of write and change. So if we want to see real lasting change, it's not going to be through just one conference or one workshop or even like one documentary or policy. I think that it really has to be a consistent thing to kind of take root as deeply as racism has, where we really need like an equal force going in the opposite direction. And I almost think it's like conditioning your body almost like footy training, where it's an exercise that takes more than one season to get to be like a team that can win at this if we want to as a community or country. I think we have to have almost like a consistent regimen where we question certain things, we have certain discussions, and I think we would be better off in the long run, both morally and financially, to just be more inclusive and more welcoming and more open-minded, not just in the AFL, not just in a professional environment, but also like in society. And I think if you're as excited as I am about the continued growth of the sport, to just really have it be more inclusive is really how I think we can all get better. Whew. Okay. If you got through that with me just now, know that that was not easy to get through. Think about the big freeze and let all of that just slide right off of me. <laughs> so now it's the after show since there is no wrap up this week after such a long discussion. The Big Free 7 happened on early Monday morning during halftime. The game was actually at the SCG, but they set up the slides at the G. And it's a really fun and important annual event. I've mentioned it before, but I just wanted to talk about my favorite sliders. <laughs> so my favorite slider this year was Sarah Jones. I really adore her. She's always been one of my favorite sportscasters on Fox Sports. And she was Mary Poppins, complete with props and everything. I really loved her little kind of dance that she did at the beginning. But I really love seeing sportscasters' personalities. She's, as I've said, one of my favorite people to watch. And she's just so composed and polished. And it was really great to see her kind of in front of the camera in a different way. And for honorable mention, I have to say Abby Holmes as Dipper and Gil, the CEO, I have to admit, I just appreciate he's down to always support. And he actually dressed up as Meatloaf. <laughs> so 
there was a meatloaf moment a while ago. Um, I'm not sure if you're aware. I think all AFL fans know of this moment, but for anyone new to the sport. So I was initially very excited. I couldn't believe that an American had performed at a grand final game for 12 minutes. So I was really excited when I heard about that. And I'm sorry that I ever watched the video. So I'm not recommending it. I'm just saying it happened. <laughs> if you ever want to physically hear hopes and dreams and inspirations die in a musical sense, maybe you'll want to see this rewatch on YouTube. I think you can still find it there. Meatloaf actually, a few years later, gave an apology to all Australians for his underwhelming performance. Um, I actually never talk about this. It's not something I recommend to anyone who's new to the sport either. So just disregard all of the above if you are new to the sport. Um, but yeah, CEO Gil McLaughlin um, with the entire getup, including leather pants, and just kind of hilariously revisited that moment and just kind of dig the big freeze so that we can all just, you know, slide away from that moment. But that's it for me. It was a pretty packed epi. So thanks again for listening, everyone, and for hanging around for the show. Stay safe and healthy. Check on your friends and neighbors. We'll get through this like footy. I'm virtually hugging you and we'll talk footy soon.